Open God's words with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. Our goal is to wrap up chapter 11 today. That's our goal. Last week we kind of reviewed, well, we, we reviewed chapter 10 and 11, and chapter 10 is where it started out with Cornelius having the, the visit from the angel telling him to send some guys down to Joppa to find a fellow there named Peter that was staying with the tanner. And then Peter had a vision with the sheep come down from heaven with all the animals, clean and unclean, and, and God showed it to him three times so that it would soak in, I think. Probably would have been a few more than three times if it had been me there, but Peter was there and got the vision, and it went back, the sheep and the animals went back to heaven, and, and the message was that basically that the word was to go to the Gentiles now. It was to not just be held within the the Jewish community, but that God intended for all to hear the gospel, for all to have the privilege of coming into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, as, as chapter 10 continued, the guys came down, Peter was ready to go, they went back, they preached the word beginning in verse uh, 34 of chapter 10. He preached the word, and then verse 44, after he was preaching the word, but while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon those that were listening to the message that believed what Peter was preaching, and Peter was preaching Jesus Christ. Last week, in the the first part of, of chapter 11... Probably there, there may have been a year or two, possibly three years, before Peter made it back to Jerusalem. But when Peter got to Jerusalem, the Jewish brothers in Jerusalem said, Yo, dude, you were eating with Gentiles. What's up with that? Why, why are you sitting with the Gentiles? They're the unclean dogs that we're not supposed to associate with. And then chapter 11, Peter explains chapter 10 to them. These are, chapter 10 was more in the narrative and Luke's, Luke's words uh, as inspired through the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, we, we get to see Peter telling his story uh, of that. We remember that, that we saw in it the vision was from God the Father and that the, the Holy, God the Holy Spirit uh, was involved uh, in verses 12 through 15 there. That it was the Spirit that told him and interpreted the, the sheet and the vision for him. And then in verse 16, we have God the Son in Jesus Christ, that he was the word of the Lord. And how we used to say, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that brings us up to, to chapter 11, verse 19. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lives of faithful men and and just pray that we would be faithful to your word as well. As we look at 2 Timothy 2.2 and know that that we are to commit your word to, to those coming behind us. That they might know to stand firm. That they might know what it is to be above reproach. That they might know what it is to live for Jesus. And Father, in this day and age, we think it's getting harder and worse. I don't know if it was any worse now than it was then, but 
We do need your help, Father. We need your strength, we need your wisdom, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to accomplish your will and to stand firm and to pass it on to the next generation. Open our eyes this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we finished last week in verse 18, that Peter is finishing up telling the the leaders and the elders in the Jerusalem church about how God has gave them that vision and has told them to take the, the gospel to the Gentiles. In verse 18, says, When they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And we, and we talked just briefly last week about how that, that's not real reassuring there. The language isn't real firm. And, and we said that in the, in the times to come in our, the study of the rest of the book of Acts, we'll see where, where they kind of take it back. They, they want to let it go. Yeah, Peter's there. He just testified that, yeah, the gospel go to the Gentiles. But at the same time, they're so, they're so steeped in their Jewish traditions and, and the law that, that they want to keep kind of pulling that back into play too. And they're not sure that it should go to the Gentiles. And, and even though here they're kind of convinced, at least momentarily, from, from Peter's story and telling them what, what God was doing. But we'll see even in today's message where they kind of, they kind of want to rein that in a little bit. They want to keep their control of it. They, they want to, you know, they, they know God's on the throne, but they want to kind of help him out. And, and do it the way they think they see fit or the way they think it should work. But... We'll get there. Verse 19. So then there were those uh, scattered because of the persecution. And with that, we'll look at our map. And I know that you're, I'm going to try to give you an idea. I'm sure you can't read it too well from there. Um, but I've, a couple places I want to point out that we're going to look at today. And if you can see me point on this one, then kind of in that area. We're going we're to talk about Cyrene today. This is a... a City founded by Greeks. Uh, Cyrene is going to come up today. Here we have Jerusalem. Phoenicia, Phoenicia, if I'm saying that right, is this area along the coast here, the coastal plain. It's just a narrow band of land. Um, we remember we talked about Joppa, that that's where Peter was staying with Simon the Tanner. And then Caesarea was about 30 miles north of there. And that's where he went up to, to uh, Cornelius' house. Then we are going to see Antioch is up here. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And Tarsus, you have to come around this area. And, and you're going to see that when it talks about Barnabas is going to go to Tarsus to get Saul to come help him in Antioch. Um, it's, it's not a trek of a million miles, but it's not just a Sabbath stroll either. It's, it's a nice little hike around here. I don't know, maybe you hopped on a boat and went that way. It would have been quicker, but Tarsus is over here. And if you remember, after Paul escaped from Jerusalem when the Jews were trying to kill him again, he, he, he scurried home to Tarsus, and he's been sitting there for a few years. Uh, well, he probably wasn't just sitting, knowing Paul. He, he was, and we'll look at that too, he was spreading the gospel and at work, but he wasn't involving himself with the politics and the, the Roman government and that in Jerusalem. But Tarsus is up here. Okay. Antioch's here. Cyprus is here, the island. We're going to hear Cyprus a couple times. 
Um, and again, styrene is down here. Let me do that again over here real quick. Okay, I see some heads saying no, so I won't. But anyhow, for me, a map helps getting it in a picture of where they're coming from and where they're traveling to. Back to verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution, okay, we had the, the Jewish nation was scattered in 722 B.C. and again in 586, the, the north tribe and then the southern tribes. Um, why? Because they were disobedient to God's word. The, the scattering then happened because they were disobedient and it was God's judgment on them. And that, that's the cool thing about God is that even though the rulers of the Babylonians and the rulers of the Assyrians were not Christians and didn't believe in Christ. God used them to carry out and accomplish his will in the lives of the Jewish people. In those instances, they were scattered because of their disobedience. And here we find, right after, remember... Um, Chapter 6 or chapter 7. Right after Stephen is, is stoned, that the church scatters. This time they're being scattered because of their obedience to God's word. They're being scattered because they're living for Jesus, they're different, and they want to follow Jesus. And so, because of the persecution, and God again uses that to spread the gospel, to spread his word. He has, a, he has a purpose and a goal in everything that he does in our lives. And this time the scattering is so that the word will go throughout the known world at that time. So, we'll start again. Those that were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia. And that was that narrow band of land along the coast there. Uh, and Cyprus, the island, and to Antioch, that city 300 miles north of Jerusalem, speaking the, no, no, excuse me, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So they're not really doing what they were told to do, because at this point they're still not giving the gospel to the Gentiles. They're just keeping it in-house. But there were, verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so the Cyrene, again, on the, the north coast of Africa there, some men from Cyrene and then some men from the island of Cyprus came to Antioch and began speaking to the... And how many of your Bibles say Greeks? What, what is, if it doesn't say Greeks, what does yours say? Hellenists. Hellenists? Okay. It's fun to read all the different commentaries and see how they agree and disagree on certain things, but... Um, That's poorly translated there. It says Greeks. Because it, it basically, and, and the Hellenists is probably closer to the truth. It was the Gentiles that they were preaching to. And the reason we know is the Gentiles they were preaching to is because of the message they were giving them. Okay? We, we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. But Jesus was primarily his earthly name that his disciples would call him. Christ refers more to his office and what he was doing. He was, and we often translate it when, we, when we've been reading Christ in, in Acts, was that he was the Savior, and to the Jews he was the Messiah. And that has more to do with the name of Christ. 
We see here that when these guys are coming from Cyrene and Cyprus to preach to the Hellenists or the Gentiles, that they are preaching Christ as Lord, or excuse me, Jesus as Lord, not Jesus as Messiah. So we know that if, if he was preaching to the Jews, it would have been Jesus Messiah. But since he is preaching to the Gentiles, their, their message is Jesus as Lord. Because the Gentiles wouldn't have the concept and understand about Messiah. So, and, and uh, let's see. And Okay, the end of verse 20, the, they began speaking, and I'm going to just say Gentiles, to the Gentiles also preaching the Lord Jesus. They weren't preaching Jesus Christ, they were preaching Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Got to look at my notes here real quick. Oh, I, I forgot a bunch of the details of the city of Antioch. Well, let me, I, I do need to go back to that. The city of Antioch was about half a million people. Had about four and a half miles of, of paved roads through it with, with Roman colonnades on the side. And it was the first uh, recorded in history, the first city uh, that would be lit at night. I'm not sure if they did it every night, if it was just special occasions, but they had the capabilities of lighting the city, the city streets up at night. Um, it was the capital. Uh, it was known as the Queen of the East. It was very cosmopolitan. You can tell uh, by its location that it was any, any routes coming through here or anything going east and west could easily pass through that. It was a very happening place. It was the, the number three city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. Um, if, you know, the Roman commanders living in, in, in Rome wanted to go on vacation, they'd most likely either go to Alexandria or Antioch. Downside to that with all the traffic coming and going is that it was exposed to every um, depraved debauchery known to man. They, they worshipped all sorts, I don't even want to list them, they, they worshipped all sorts of different gods in, in the, the groves of Daphne, I hope I say it right, Daphne, where we're just about four miles from the city of Antioch, and that was known to be a place of um, sinful parties. That's, that's just the way I'll leave it. And, and there was nothing about this place that... that um, would make you think that anybody there oozed Jesus to, to their neighbor. They, they weren't full of the Lord. And so now that the word is coming to Antioch, it was, it was really obvious if one of the Gentiles changed and didn't want to serve or worship or partake in any of those licentious activities anymore, but that they wanted to be a follower of Christ, there was a big difference in their life. And they stood out in, in very stark contrast to their neighbors who wanted to continue partaking in that. In verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. And as soon as I read that, it made me think back to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah has gone to Artaxerxes, and the king says, what's wrong, you're down in the face? And he says, my city Jerusalem lies in disrepair. 
And so the king says, how long is it going to take you and what materials do you need? I'm going to sign letters that Asaph, the, the head of the forest, is going to give you all the trees, all the timbers you need to rebuild. And Nehemiah, oh, I should have marked it so it would be, oh, look at that. Still kind of falls open to Nehemiah. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple for the wall of the city, for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because I was such a great guy. No, no. The king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. We've talked about with building projects, Hudson Taylor's quote that, that if it's God's work, God's will done in God's time, it'll have God's support. Okay? Here, there, there was obviously the work of the Lord being accomplished because a large number believed and turned to the Lord. God's work was being done in God's work, will, and in God's way. And many, it says multitudes in some translations, multitudes from this depraved city were turning to the Lord. They wanted the Lord to be the center of their life. They wanted the mercy and the love that he had for them. So the the, the Lord's hand, or the, excuse me, the hand of the Lord was at work. And what usually happens when the Lord starts working? We, we, <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Who, who starts putting in some overtime? Satan. Satan's going to do anything and everything that he can do to tear down the work of the Lord. Satan does not like it when there's a lot of people in this context in Antioch turning from their evil, wicked ways and wanting to change and transform their, law, their lives to be in accordance with the Word of God. He doesn't like it. So... The news about them reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Well, you think, well, that's a good thing, right? Barnabas was a good guy. Why is that a bad thing? Well, why did they send him? Why did they send him? Okay, back to verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down, became silent, glorified God, saying, well then... Kind of half-heartedly. I guess if God's granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life, I guess we need to share it with them. They don't like what's going on here because Gentiles are coming to love the Lord. And, and the Jews sitting in Jerusalem still think it's about them. And so they're sending Barnabas to investigate. Go find out what those renegades are up to. Go find out what they're really doing and what their real purpose is. Figure it out. We're going to send you up there, Barnabas. The news about them reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. 
And when he had come, I just love this, and, and I, I mean, I want to be more like Jesus in my life, but there's, there's other human beings that, that have good characteristics, godly characteristics that we could wish we had in our life. And, and I like Barnabas here. He witnessed, he didn't, he didn't barge in and start telling them what to do and how to do it. He went and he observed. He witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them with all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. When he had come, he witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them. Although there were those in Jerusalem that wanted him to go, you know, almost with a little more sinister intentions, wanted him to, to dig up the mud on these Gentiles to, to say they're, they're really not part of the fold. He didn't go with that attitude. He went with the attitude, I'm going to go and see what God is doing there. Just, just like in verse 44 of chapter 10, just back a page maybe, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them who were listening to the message. And then when Peter went back to Jerusalem a couple of years later, he had to explain to the church leaders in Jerusalem that God had indeed said to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and so, Peter, in verse 18, again, of, verse, of chapter 11, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but in that verse 18, they said, well, God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Peter, Peter had convinced them with his story, but they really couldn't fight against the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles in the exact same manner that the Holy Spirit had come upon the Jews in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. It was a hard one to, to fight against. So Barnabas goes up with the idea, I'm going to go see what God, God gave his spirit to those in, in um, Caesarea through Cornelius. Obviously, they were Gentiles. They received the Holy Spirit in the same way we did in Jerusalem. I'm going to go see what God's doing in Antioch. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart. Now that, that idea of resolute, resolute heart means that, that they were resolved to do it. They, they had purpose. It, it wasn't just, oh, that's nice, we'll go Sunday morning and then the rest of the week, you know, we'll just wait till next Sunday and we'll go back and hear some more again. No, they, they lived with purpose. They lived with a, a goal in their hearts that they were going to live throughout the whole week as a Christian should. They were going to live throughout the whole week, not going to those parties, not going to, to the temples of those other idols to worship, but that God was going to affect and change their hearts so that they would live the same every day all week long and not just be nice on Sunday and you know, not do what you weren't supposed to do because your other Christians were watching and looking at you. They resolved in their heart and they determined in their heart that they were going to live for Jesus. And Barnabas is there to encourage them. Verse 24, for he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. 
That sounds like a good epitaph to put on your gravestone, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I'd hope most of us would be happy with that on our gravestone. She was full of the Holy Spirit and she was full of faith. Don't get much gooder than that. And again, considerable numbers were added to the Lord. So it sounds like a lot of church growth is happening here. And it's happened pretty quickly. So, the one good thing about Barnabas, he wasn't Superman and he knew he wasn't Superman. He knew he couldn't do it all by himself. He needed help. And he knows that not too far away, somebody has been quiet for the last two or three years, at least as far as the church in Jerusalem was concerned, is a fellow by the name of Saul. So in verse 25, Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. He went and he found, he brought him back to Antioch. There's, there's, the, there's the sense in the, the language there, the words, that he brought him back. It, he, he didn't go and say, hey, guy, come with me. We've got some work to do over here. He, he wasn't giving Saul that option. He brought him back. He was going to make sure that he can. It doesn't say he dragged him back. I think that might be a little too strong. But, but he, he, come on, Paul, we're, or Saul, we're going. And, and he made sure that he came. It doesn't, the, the language is like he didn't really give him an option. He said, you, let's go. So they get there, and for an entire year, they taught considerable numbers. And again, that just makes me think of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. We, ter- we are to teach faithful men and women so that they can pass it on to the next generation. It's got to go step by step from generation to generation. We cannot allow and afford it to skip a generation. And that is what's happening in our country, and that's why our country is where it's at today. Because we have not been faithful. The generation before us has not been faithful in passing it on to the next generations. We all bear responsibility in it. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. There's the thought that the, um, the, the, the people in Antioch were known for having a a uh, quirky sense of humor. They, they, without supposedly without being nasty, they'd poke fun at one another uh, and call each other names. And and so this, some some scholars believe that this is where the name Christian came from. And others say absolutely not. This is a divine name because it has the name of Christ in it. And they began calling themselves Christians first because they were. Uh, the, the, the Latin ending on the end of Christian is I-A-N. And if you, if you wanted to talk about the Herodians, they were followers of Herod. So if you wanted to talk about the Christians, they were followers of Christ. 
And again, we get the idea that, that from verse 23 where Barnabas was talking about those that were resolute with resolute hearts to remain true to the Lord. If you were going to be a Christian, you were going to be a follower of Christ, you were going to be known and associated with that, then you were going to live like that. And you had to have that evidence of, of Christ's influence on your life. And you were going to be faithful to service to him. You were Christ's representative. And you were considered a Jesus man or Jesus woman. Because you belonged to Jesus Christ. You were a Christian Again, Barnabas was smart enough to know he couldn't do it all himself, so he got help. And he got help from a pretty, pretty strong man to, to get Saul to come and help him work in the church in Antioch to preach, to teach, and to, to cultivate, to grow believers that they might come to maturity. And the disciples there were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, verse 27, prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of his disciples had mean, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Wow, so much to unpack there. (laughs) Agabus came and and said there's going to be famine. And and while Claudius was in power in Rome, the city of Rome faced two major famines. There was one major one in Greece, but the worst one hit Judea. And they didn't, it wasn't like it was sweeping through, it was all at once covering the whole world. Uh, we, we lose some of the, the thought and understanding and translation here. But there were definitely famine. And in this Agabus was a prophet came up from Jerusalem and prophesied here. Now the, 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 the important thing here shouldn't in this these few verses, 27 to 30, shouldn't be focusing on the prophecy. Okay? But but since we're since it's here, we'll talk about it. What, what was the purpose of the prophecy? Well, what was the, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit falling on the believers in Acts chapter 2? And as, and as he did in chapter uh, 10 there with the, with the um, Gentiles and Cornelius, what was the purpose of the speaking in tongues? They were speaking in dialects that would be understood by other people that were there from, from Cyrene, from Cyprus, from Tarsus, from wherever else in the world they came, where they spoke different languages, the purpose was that so the gospel of Christ could be spread to all. So it was given so that others would understand. Well, what was the purpose of this particular prophecy? It wasn't speaking in tongues, but he, being filled with the Spirit is, is prophesying. And the purpose was to stir hearts to do God's will. It wasn't to say, oh, hmm, 
He got a prophecy from the Lord. He must be a spiritual man. And you're not spiritual because you don't have a prophecy from the Lord. No. That wasn't the purpose at all. The purpose of the prophecy was so that the people could carry out God's will. And that he could, they could be aware and that they could be used to accomplish God's purpose. And what was, what was that purpose in this case? Now, remember, Barnabas and Saul have been teaching them for a year now on the, on the, from the word of God. So we see here that the learning of the word of God changed and had an effect on the believers in Antioch, the Christians. It affected their life. It, it changed their actions. And how did it do that? Verse 29, in the, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. This is the first time in recorded history that people pooled their money to send somewhere to help somebody else. How cool is that? The Red Cross thought they came up with it. Not even close. Got to go back a couple thousand years, guys. Long before the Red Cross. There was a purpose. And why, why were they ready? Because Barnabas and Saul had been faithfully teaching and preaching to them for the last year. Teaching them the word of God. And when we're in the word of God, and when we let it saturate us, when they squeeze us, what's going to come out? Hopefully Christ-like attitudes and actions. That's what should come out. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Now, okay, I mentioned earlier that those boxes over there were going to have a part of our sermon this morning. In the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Old Testament, we we always talk about the tithe, and we know that that through, from the old to the new, the standards of, uh, of the way we should live our lives are, are a little higher standard because in the Old Testament, you'd have to hit your brother in, a, in the head with a sledgehammer and kill him to actually kill him to be guilty of murder. And in the New Testament, the standard is such that if we are angry or hate a brother, it's as if we had murdered them. And we know that that, that carries over in that idea is, is that the standard is higher in the New Testament. So we can, it's, it's not too much of a stretch to understand and realize that the, that the idea of the tithe or the offering is at a higher standard in the New Testament than it was in the Old. And, and the challenge to us is to follow this example in that in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined, and, and it wasn't like the group determined what you were supposed to give or what you were supposed to give or what you were supposed to give. Each one determined in their heart, they knew what their checkbook had in it, and they knew what they had stashed away for retirement in their IRA and all that, and they were able to determine that each individual 
what they were supposed to give. It doesn't say anybody recorded it or not that the left hand knew what the right hand was doing. It doesn't say anything about that. But they were determined to send help. And they did it through Barnabas and Saul, who went to the elders in Jerusalem. There's another principle right there. Barnabas and Saul didn't walk into Jerusalem and say, here you go, start passing out money. You guys need help because of the famine here. No. They went to the church and gave it to the elders so that the elders could distribute it. The elders knew knew the people in Jerusalem and knew who had the need. It wasn't like they were just throwing money out there willy-nilly. We got money to help you guys, so here, go buy some food or something. They did it in an orderly and a reasonable fashion. They went to the elders and and gave them the the offering that was given from the believers, from the Christians in Antioch, that they sent it down to help them in their time of need. So we have a a lot of different work and pieces here, a lot of different directions, but all to be said that Through the ministry of these fellows, and that's interesting, the guys that came from Cyrene and Cyprus to Antioch, do we know their names? The ones that first started preaching in Antioch to the Gentiles? We're not given one single name. We don't need to have the recognition of men to receive blessings from the Lord for our faithful work and our faithful ministry. Those guys that came from Cyprus and Cyrene, they did it because they loved the Lord. They were Jewish Christians that were scattered from Jerusalem to different parts of the world when the persecution was taking place in Jerusalem. God had that planned all along. He knew those guys were going to end up in Antioch. But he was more concerned that they were faithful in their service to him than in what their names were. They were called Christians there. And we learn the principles here that, they, that as believers we help one another. Through the work of Saul and Barnabas... We see that it's important if we want to be one that is identified as... And I I had a a section I was going to read here about a court case in Iowa of of a fellow that died and wanted to leave his money to his family, but it was to only go to those that were Christians and had Christ-like attitudes. And a bunch of the nieces and nephews took it to court. (laughs) They obviously figured out they weren't Christians. (laughs) That they weren't living the way Grandpa wanted them to be. Or Uncle. In the lower court case, the, the lower court said, you can't, you can't determine what a Christian is. And they pulled a bunch of, you know, the, the, the nieces and nephews went and got some preachers from their kind of church, whatever, and said, you can't tell what a Christian is. But then the, the trustees for the estate brought in some pastors that said, no, you can According to God's word, you can 
know what a Christian is and what it looks like to live like a Christian. Unfortunately, the upper, the upper court uh, ruled in favor of the trustee, not in favor of the nieces and nephews. Again, and we said this before, if you're arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Or will you get off on a technicality? To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. To, let me find the, no, I'm not going to find it now. (laughs) There we go. Belonging to the party of is the, just the, the textbook definition. Belonging to the party of Christ. Do we, okay, turn back to pages chapter 10. I, I like this. Peter, after he saw the vision of the sheets, he was perplexed in his mind. And then in verse 19, he was reflecting on the vision. Do we take time to look at the word of God and sit and reflect on it? Do we meditate on it? I always think back to that that time when I was counseling at a Christian camp one summer, and we had training before the kids got there. And one day of our training was we had to go and sit in mosquito-infested forest for 12 hours by ourselves, our Bible, a lunch, and God. 12 hours. Didn't take very long. And we were just college kids, so our prayer list wasn't that long to begin with. And you, you burn through that in a hurry, and well, at least three or four hours gone by, and you look down, oh, well, that was 20 minutes, huh? Whoa. And I know that we don't always have that opportunity or privilege in our lives today. But when's the last time we sat down for 20 minutes and just meditated on the Word of God? We need to spend time in God's Word. We need to spend time in prayer. Henry Ironside says that prayer is to the Christian vital breath. A believer who is not given to prayer will never really count for God. Ouch. Let me read that again. A believer who is not given to prayer will never really count for God. Hmm. We need to spend time in God's word. We need to spend time in prayer. And we need to spend time in fellowship with believers. Father, thank you for your word. That's my prayer for myself. And it's my prayer for everybody in this auditorium. That when we come back next Sunday, Father, we will be closer to you. We will be more like you. There will be more evidence in the prosecutor's folder to convict us of being a Christian. Father, help us to live like we're followers of Christ. That we might be above reproach. Not perfect, but that we might be above reproach, Father. That in all of our dealings, to the best of our abilities, we will be honest and fair and loving. That as Barnabas saw when he came to Antioch, he, he witnessed the grace of God and rejoiced and began to encourage them, all that had a a heart to, to surface and to remain true to you, Lord. 
I pray that we will live like that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.